Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Let's pray together. Fathers, we are in this room today. It is to sing of your love. We've read that in scripture today. We've sung that in song today. So how we want to honor and remember and realize, dwell in and bask in your love today. Thank you for a love that knows no limitation, a love that knows no beginning and no end, a love that lasts forever. We thank you for your love. We celebrate your love and what you demonstrated that to us and just the breath that we breathe this morning. The way you've demonstrated your love to us in the sun that rises, the stars at night. The way you demonstrate your love in the beauty of a newborn's face and smile. The way you demonstrate your love in our friends and our family that we share this like precious faith with. Father, we celebrate your love. But mostly, God, today we celebrate your love as demonstrated to us on a cross. Where you put yourself in the way of sin so that we might be made right with you. So we celebrate that love and that demonstration of your grace. With everything we do, whether in this room on a Sunday morning as we worship you, whether tomorrow morning when we go to our jobs, when it's a, when we're in our homes this week, with everything we do, every word we say, would it demonstrate your love? That we know we are loved by you and we want to love the world around us the way you do. So God, as always, I pray that you would teach us how to love better. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, hello. My name is Larry. I'm one of the staff members here at this church. Glad that you're here. It's been a while since I've been up front with a microphone on my face. It's kind of been a nice getaway, but it's I've missed you. Uh, maybe you've missed me. Don't tell me if you haven't. I don't need to, that hit to my ego, uh, but I've missed being up here. As One of the, uh, the great privileges I have um, as the teaching pastor here at Faith Christian is that every year our leadership team gives me the opportunity to kind of step back from my weekly in and out preaching duties uh, to just kind of recharge my brain a little bit, honestly. Uh, I get to spend some time reading and studying, planning, dreaming for the stuff that will come up in the next our next church year beginning this fall and get some ideas, uh, get recharged connected with some thoughts, uh, refresh the creativity a little bit. It's a thing. I also get a chance to do some things behind the scenes that you'll never see, uh, but the things I do behind the scenes these last couple weeks um, have will help, uh, will make better everything you do get to see, from some of our tech stuff uh, to last, the last couple weeks I got to spend in, on Sunday mornings in junior church. I got to teach junior church, which I haven't done in a long time. Um, it's loud, um, but it's awesome. If you haven't had a chance to get down there with those kids yet, you need to talk to Kara and find a time to get down there because it is an amazing opportunity. We've got some great things happening in our Faith Kids program, and uh, it was great to get to be a part of that. So my thanks uh, to our leadership team for the opportunity. My thanks to Brian, uh, who pinch hit for me uh, the last five weeks. Um, and uh, he'll be back here the next couple weeks while my family and I have a chance to unwind with some vacation time. Um, but uh, this summer, Brian and I are kind of tag-teaming this sermon series that we're calling Vintage. And the idea in this Vintage series is that we're looking at some of the, 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 the moments and especially some of the people uh, that we read about in the Old Testament 
these old stories and because there's life lessons there's lessons that matter there's things that we can learn from these people from their lives from their stories that matter to us today things we can learn and live our lives better today as we seek to find uh, find and follow Jesus and so one of the one of the things we're going to be looking at through this series is what these people what these people can teach us these men and women can teach us today today we're looking at one of the prophets of God uh, Brian did a great job walking through five weeks of Zechariah talking about leadership. Uh, did I say something wrong? Nehemiah, not Zechariah. That's a different one. That's coming up later. Nehemiah, uh, talking about the leadership. As, as, see, I told you I was in junior church last week. Um, Nehemiah, looking at, at, at what Nehemiah did, how we can learn how to lead our families, how we can learn to lead any kind of organization we're in. Well, Malachi puts us in a similar spot. And we're, that's where we're going to be the next couple of weeks. Talking about this guy, Malachi. His book is the very last book of the Old Testament, this prophet of God. And he gives us some leadership uh, principles, some lessons for our lives, whether you're leading just the people in your house, whether you're leading uh, uh, an organization, whether you're leading in, in a church like this one, whatever it is that you have a circle of influence, Malachi has some things to say about that. Now, we don't know much about this guy, Malachi. But we knew one thing. He had one clear message to deliver to the people. As a message from God, that's what it means to be a prophet, that you're speaking to power. You're speaking from God to powers. One message to deliver to God's people. These are people who have returned to the land that they've been exiled from. They've returned to the land of Israel, much like the story of Nehemiah, how he brought them back. And they're literally trying to rebuild their lives after being decimated by years in exile, uh, years in Babylon. And so now they're back, and they're trying to rebuild it again. And Malachi's message to God's people, the message from God to his people, and his message to you and me today is simply this. God deserves our very best. God deserves our very best. Maybe you remember this story that popped up in the news a couple of years ago around Thanksgiving time. This lady had been digging through the deep freeze in her garage or her basement and found an old butterball turkey down there in the bottom of the freezer. She didn't remember buying that butterball turkey. She had no idea how old that butterball turkey was, so she pulled it out, put it on the counter in the kitchen, looked at it, trying to figure out, what am I going to do with this old turkey? Notice there was an 800 number to call the butterball hotline. It's a thing. Calls the butterball hotline and says, hey, I've got this turkey. I don't know how old it is. Uh, what should I do with it? And so the operator on the, on the butterball hotline, which is just fun to say, butterball hotline, um, says, to her, well, tell me on the back, there's, there's going to be some numbers, a number code. Okay, read that code to me. So they read the code. The operator puts it in the computer and says, ma'am, that turkey is 23 years old. She said, no wonder I don't remember buying it. 23-year-old turkey. And so the lady asked the Butterball Hotline, what do I do with this 23-year-old turkey? The, lady, the Butterball Hotline lady says, ma'am, you need to throw that turkey out. Don't, don't eat that. Don't consume that. And the lady goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'll just give it to the church instead. <laughs> about 430 years before Jesus, a little-known but courageous prophet named Malachi told God's people, in effect, don't bother bringing a 23-year-old butterball turkey as your offering to the Lord. Don't waste your time. Don't waste God's time. Why? Because God, say it with me, God deserves our very best. Let me read you a little bit of Malachi's story. This is from Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. I'm just going to read through this. You can follow along on the screen while I read it out loud. 
the Lord Almighty says this to the priest. A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You kind of tell God's getting a little snarky here, right? If I'm your father, where's the respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, <laughs> come on, God, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord Almighty. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord Almighty. How I wish one of you would shut temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will not accept your offering. But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying, it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord Almighty. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asked the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is feared among the nations. Now, without burying you in a whole lot of detail about the background and circumstances that prompted the writing of this book, all you need to know to get today's vintage life lesson from the Old Testament is that the prophet Malachi was commissioned by God with one specific purpose in mind, one goal in mind, and that goal was to reestablish the standards of excellence among God's people. A guy by the name of Peter Drucker is considered to be uh, the, the most famous and the, kind of the founder of the modern business movement. He's a great leadership guy, business management ideals. Some of you who are in that field, you know this name already. Peter Drucker, he says this. One of the most important functions of leadership in any organization is to uphold standards of excellence for the simple reason that without consistent promptings, excellence and excellent standards will always drift South. So if you have anything to do in any supervisory or management position in an institution, in an organization, in any form, you already know how true that is. And that is precisely what had begun to happen in the behaviors, in the thoughts, in the relationship, in the attitudes, and even in the worship among God's people during the prophet Malachi's day. Everything from their approach to their worship that we just read about 
to their keeping of their marriage covenants, which Brian's going to touch on next week, to how they handle their money, to their understanding, to their submitting to a moral authority in their life. All of that was drifting further and further and further away from the standards of excellence revealed by God. So God appoints this straight-talking prophet Malachi to come and to reestablish his standards of excellence and challenge his people to live up to them. Here's why. Because excellence honors God and inspires people. Excellence honors God and it inspires people. Why is that so important? Why do we, or why should we, make such a big deal about giving God our best? Let me try to unpack this for you theologically first today. I think the root of, of our desire to present excellence to God is because of God's consistent excellence in giving to us. Think about it like this. Would you agree by any standard of measurement that God did a pretty good job when he created the heavens and the earth? Would you agree with that? Spend some time driving, or better yet, hiking through the mountains. Take a walk on the beach, especially at sunrise or sunset. Lay on your back at night on a clear night and try to count the stars. Give God a grade. How do you do? This is pretty good, right? Mediocre? Was it? Meh. He did a pretty good. Was it average? No, it's pretty good, isn't it? Look at the wonder of the human body. Men and women with complex souls, minds, and bodies, wonderfully complex creatures with physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual capabilities that boggle the imagination. You, you've got to give God an excellent on that one, don't you? I, I, I love the little story of the little boy who comes to his mom, a little five-year-old boy comes to his mom one day and says, Mom, is it true? Is, is it true that God created people from dust? And the mom thought real hard, yeah, back from Sunday school, from the dust and, and made Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah honey, that's true. God created, created people from, from dust. The little boy says, well, Mom, I, I, I think there's a family of five moving in under my bed. It's <laughs> a horrible joke. I know, it's a horrible joke. Think about these magnificent creatures that have been formed from dust. From dust. And these magnificent creatures have balled up their puny little fist and rebelled against the very God that created them. Very early on in the story of humans, we did that. Did God stomp them out for their incredible insurrection? No. God demonstrated excellent forbearance and patience with them covering their nakedness and shame and promising them a coming once for all deliverer and as the story unfolds throughout the pages of the old testament god keeps loving keeps working with keeps teaching these rebellious creatures century after century generation after generation and the greatest sacrifice the greatest sacrifice that God ever asked from them, from the people he showed excellence in patience and kindness and mercy, the only sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice God ever asked for from his people was that they bring to the altar an animal without defect. The perfect animal. An unblemished lamb. 
And he told them through Moses, when you come to worship me, you bring that unblemished, perfect lamb to the temple as a worship offering. Not just any lamb. You bring the blue ribbon lamb. You bring the one that would bring the most money at the market. You make me an excellent worship offering when you bring me an offering. You bring me excellence. And for a short period of time, God's people honored that standard. And they would come for their worship to the temple, to the tabernacle, to the altar, and they would bring with them the perfect lamb. And for a period of time, God, God's people honored that. But in Malachi's day, not so much. The people begrudgingly walked around their herds and flocks, and instead of bringing the best lamb, the prize, the blue ribbon lamb to God, you know what they were looking for? They were looking for the lame lamb. They were looking for the one that was, you know, leaning up against the fence, wheezing, one that wasn't going to make it much longer, one ready to kill over and die. That's the lamb they looked for, the one that was blemished, the one that was sick, the one that had no value in the marketplace. And they were saying, well, this is the one I don't need. This is the one that's not worth very much. This is the one I'll give to God. It was the equivalent of giving God the 23-year-old butterball turkey. So Malachi was sent by God to tell the people, your offerings of these blemished, lame lambs are of no value to you. And so consequently, they are of no value to God. He's telling them, your sacrifices stink. In fact, you're better off not even bringing an offering. It'd be better just to shut the door of the temple and put the fire out on the altar than to offer God less than your best. God doesn't want your leftovers. He's not interested in your scraps. He deserves and demands your best lambs. Why? Because God knew that one day, 400 or so years later, after the time of Malachi, God knew he was going, he was going to give the best lamb. That lamb would be born through Mary. That lamb who had been prophesied for centuries. The lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And every lamb, and this is millions, millions of lambs that were sacrificed in the Old Testament, every one of those lambs was a foreshadowing of the perfect lamb which was to come, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And when it came time for Jesus, the lamb of God, to pay the price for your sins and my sins. He died an excellent death. Have you ever thought about it that way? Jesus died an excellent death for you. He carried his own cross as far as he humanly could. He forgave those who pounded the spikes in his wrists and feet. He said, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. As he was literally suspended between heaven and earth on a cross, he made practical arrangements for his mother to be taken care of. While at the same time, 
He was making redemptive arrangements for all of us to be taken care of. Within moments of his final breath, he made room for one more sinner in the kingdom of God, the thief hanging on the cross next to him. And with his final breath, he cried out, it is finished. Jesus died an excellent death for our sins. When you begin to honestly assess the divine activity of God on our behalf, it's pretty excellent. So back to Malachi. The prophet raises the question, how should a person respond to the excellent activities of God on our behalf? How do we respond? What kind of worship offering, what kind of lamb do you bring to such an excellent God? Malachi would say, here's a clue. The one over there leaning leaning against the fence, wheezing, the lame one, the blind one, don't bring that one. Bring the best one you've got to give to the one who gave his best for you. Bring your best to give to the one who gave his best for you. Why? Because excellence honors God and inspires people. So let me, in the few minutes I've got left, let me just talk about this concept, this goal of excellence. Before I tell you what excellence is, I think we need to understand what excellence is not, because we can really let this get in the way. So let me just share a few things that excellence, if we're going to strive for excellence in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our organizations, in our community, if we're going to strive for excellence, here's the things that excellence is not. Pursuing excellence is not the same thing as pursuing perfectionism. People who are pursuing perfectionism are generally demanding and judgmental and cranky and joyless and difficult to, difficult to be around people. Their standard of perfection is rarely, if ever met, and they have a way of just kind of emitting negativity into almost every environment that they're in. Eventually, a perfectionist personality will become paralyzed by the pressure to perform, and they can become depressed and kind of depressing to be around. So excellence is not the same thing as perfectionism. So pursuing excellence is not an excuse to become a workaholic. Workaholics have destructive patterns of overwork that never allows them to turn it off. You would think, I mean, this is why we become workaholics, you would think that someone who works all the time would be a person who achieves excellence, and you would be wrong. Here's why. Workaholics are generally engaged, or excuse me, are, are always engaged in their work. But they're always engaged in the work 50, 60, maybe 70%. They can never turn it off. So whether they're at work, or they're driving, or they're at home, or they're at their kids, they, they can never turn the work off in their mind, but they're only engaged at 50, 60, maybe 70%. But if you never turn it off, you can never turn on the maximum potential because you don't have the capacity. They work all the time and they never really rest and recover and allow their creative best to emerge. God made us, he wired us to live our lives in a rhythm of work and rest and work and rest and to be our best. We have to, to walk in and we have to accept that rhythm in our lives. And we, when we ignore that pattern, we will never achieve excellence. Here's the next one. Pursuing excellence is not about seeking approval. People with the disease to please, I call it, and that's me. This is, this is me. 
people with the disease to please, we can get caught up in attaching our self-worth to how others rate our performances. And there's a great danger in living for the approval of others. Many, many dark things emerge when we create crowds' approval instead of God's. Beware of that. That's a lesson for Larry. All right, last one, not. Pursuing excellence is not just a motto that you put on the wall. You've seen the signs in your workplace, in your office, right? A lot of leaders, a lot of managers say, we're going to do things with excellence. Our company, our organization, our class, our team, our whatever, we're going to do things with excellence. That's one of our core values. We've got it on the wall. It's got to be one of our core values. We've got it in the employee handbook. We're going to pursue excellence. We do all things with excellence. Listen, excellence is not a value that can be imposed from the top down. It can only be modeled from the top. If you want your team, your class, your, team, your, 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 your organization, your home to do things with excellence, it has to be modeled from the top. When you, as a key leader of a team, when you are personally committed to making your contribution with excellence, others are more likely to follow your example. All right, so how do we get there? If that's what excellence is not, how do we get there? A couple things real quick. Excellence, we need to know this, excellence takes time. It just takes time. It's been said that excellence is not a one-time act, it's a habit. Excellence is a habit. It's more of an attitude than a skill. And to develop excellence in any area takes time. What's the difference between a bad cook and a good cook? About 15 minutes. The difference between a bad cook and a good cook is about 15 minutes. What's the difference between a good cook and an excellent cook? About five minutes. Excellence requires time in planning, in preparation, and in presentation. You cannot take shortcuts and achieve excellence. Someone once said, the only place success comes before sweat is in the dictionary. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great book. A lot of you uh, business-type people know this book. It's called Outliers, The Story of Success. Malcolm Gladwell studied athletes. He studied people like Bill Gates, the Beatles, many other wildly successful people. He wanted to find out what do successful people have in common. He identified some common themes in each of them. But one of them, one of the, one of the most consistent themes in people who have demonstrated excellence over a long period of time one of the consistent themes is what Gladwell calls the 10,000-hour rule. Maybe you've heard of this. Basically, he says, the key to success, the key to being excellent in any field, no matter what it is you do, to a large extent comes with practicing that task for a total of 10,000 hours. And this rule has held up in more research in the lives of inventors and in artists and in athletes and in actors and in educators. Excellence takes time. There's nothing you need to know. Excellence is evidenced in the little things. In the little things. Uh, some of you know I love to play golf. Um, I don't play golf very often because I'm it hurts for like days when I swing a golf club because um, I'm, I'm old now. Um, but even more than playing golf, I also love to watch golf. 
and, and I will, uh, I'm the boring guy who actually watches golf on TV. I'm, I'm that guy. One of the best tournaments to watch, you know this already, is the Masters. Augusta National, uh, the directors, as, as the, the, you know, the tradition like no other, they call it, the, the most famous golf tournament in the world. Well, the directors and the administration of this golf course have a commitment to excellence. And if you watch on TV or if you ever get the chance to go to the grounds during this tournament, you will see that the landscape is spectacular. Everything is done perfectly. The blades of grass are all the same length. The flowers, they make them bloom somehow at just the right time when the TV cameras are on. I don't know how they do it. But they have this commitment to excellence. I've read, I understand, that tournament officials will rewrap some of the candy and items that are sold at the concession stands they will rewrap them in green paper so that if by chance someone in the crowd were to accidentally litter on those grounds, the TV camera would not pick up the brown Snickers wrapper, it would pick up the green wrapper. It wouldn't show up on TV. That's a commitment to excellence. People go there and they say there's a beauty almost surreal about the place. And when the Masters is held, they, they, they advertise it, the tradition like no other. Why? because they give attention to the little details. Here's how Jesus said it. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Excellence is evidenced in little things. Excellence it also requires daily diligence. It requires we do this daily. If you've, if you've ever built a house, a new house, you started from scratch, you built a new house, you know how this works. You move into the house, everything's bright, shiny, doesn't smell like the dog yet, the paint's perfect, the carpet's perfect, everything's fresh, the landscape is fantastic. You step back, you admire that this is perfect, everything looks perfect, but how long does it take you to find out things aren't perfect? It doesn't take long, and the work begins to deteriorate. The walls that were so fresh are eventually going to have to be repainted, and the grass is going to have to be cut, and the flower beds are going to have to be weeded. You can't relax for long if your home is going to maintain a level of excellence. You must be diligent. The same is true of maintaining a standard of, of excellence in your work, in your family, in your school, in your church. Programs and projects may begin with excellence, but it takes daily diligence to maintain the standard. That's why excellence is a habit. John Gardner says this, some people have greatness thrust upon them, very few have excellence thrust upon them because they achieve it. Excellence is something you achieve. They do not achieve it unwittingly by doing what comes naturally. They don't stumble into it in the course of amusing themselves. All excellence involves discipline and tenacity and purpose, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Why? Because excellence honors God and inspires people. And here's why this matters. Because if it bears his name, it's worth our best. If it bears his name, it's worth our best. Colossians 3 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, you're a teacher, you run a business, you drive a bulldozer, you punch buttons on the cash register, you babysit, you prescribe medicine, 
check blood pressure. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As if working not for men, but for the Lord, because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So regardless, regardless of who you are going to report to tomorrow, regardless of who your supervisor or manager is, regardless of who signs your paycheck week in and week out, they are not your boss. It is the Lord you are serving. And if it bears his name, it deserves our very best. Let me pray. God, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this example from the, the, the lesson of Malachi to the people of God thousands of years ago and how that lesson is still important to us today. Father, teach us, remind us that everything we do, if we follow you, if we claim to be your people, then everything we do, we're going we're gonna to do with all our heart, working not for men, but for you. Because we understand that excellence honors you wherever, wherever we demonstrate that. And it inspires those around us. God, now as we turn to a time of communion, we reflect on the excellent death of Jesus. The death on the cross, the moment when you demonstrated your love and you made it possible for us to be with you. So as we eat and we drink these emblems, we honor you for who you are and what you've done. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.